0: Alright, little, uh, business casual on demand here. Tyler, I couldn't get through today without chatting the FCC net neutrality ruling that happened this week. Super timely, super important. Well, are, you, are you aware of what's going on in that world at all? A little bit, but can we do like a quick, like, uh,
1: explain it like I'm five of net neutrality?
0: Yes, we absolutely can. So, net neutrality is the Obama-era rule. That prohibited broadband providers, or ISPs, from blocking or slowing traffic, better known as throttling Mm -hmm. your internet capacities. Okay. And versions of this concept have been around since at least 2005. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's not like the Obama-era ruling was the first version of net neutrality ever. It was just the strictest version of net neutrality and was met uh, with a lot of happy uh, applause Mm -hmm. from end users, from consumers, and from, um, I guess, internet activists was not met with as much applause from ISPs and from professionals in the broadband and telecom industries. So that's net neutrality. Uh, Let me just unpack why it's timely right now. So in 2017, the FCC voted to repeal that Obama-era net neutrality ruling. Right. Uh, An important part of that repeal was a provision... Blocking states from making their own net neutrality rules if they didn't like the federal decision. So basically, uh, you know, net neutrality was an Obama era piece of legislation in Mm -hmm. 2017. They repealed it and also said, if you don't like our decision, too bad. States cannot make their own net neutrality uh, laws. Right. Many states sued. This was taken to the courts. And this week, a federal court of appeals upheld. The decision, upheld the FCC decision. So net neutrality in its Obama form is effectively dead. But they did overturn the state's provision. So now states do have the power to enact their own net neutrality protections. So, uh, you know, again, versions of this concept have been around since 05, and arguments against it uh, have been that overall, you know, there weren't many instances of throttling Mm -hmm. before really strict net neutrality. And when there were the occasional uh, blips. The FCC shut them down. But the internet is so different now than it was in 2005. I mean, I was looking at, there's a whole article of what did the internet look like in 2005? And I saw Facebook. Right. I mean, it it's archaic. It literally looks like, you know, if you pulled open a textbook and someone said, the internet in its infancy, it, it would look like that. It would be that next to a picture of AIM. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. That is still the reality of what the internet was in 2005. I mean, YouTube was... I feel like, I'm pretty sure it was founded in 2006, but if it did exist in 05, it was the most simple, clunky version of YouTube. I mean, the way we consume content, social media as we know it, was non-existent. So, you know, the idea of net neutrality then, and the idea of why net neutrality is important now, are 100% different conversations. Mm -hmm. And some of the arguments for and against net neutrality take into account that, How we use the internet in another 15 years is going to be so, so different. And it's so difficult to predict what that's going to look like. So let me go through some concerns and some positives here, Tyler, and then then we'll discuss. So concerns on what the world would look like without net neutrality. Mm -hmm. Concerns are that the internet today is so varied and so vast that no net neutrality rules... You know, like the, the idea of we're not going to have any strict rules on how ISPs can um, direct or gatekeep your services, that could have a drastic effect on how we're priced for internet services. So we're talking higher bills, higher tolls, and with ISPs gatekeeping these internet services, their pricing could get out of control and deter things like smart city projects, right. actually. So in a practical sense, think of it this way um, – Without net neutrality rulings, a large uh, company like, you know, let's go back to Spectrum, let's say, right? Mm-hmm. They could just decide, you know what? We are going to charge you X if you are just using internet for Google. Google searches and a little social media. Yeah. Oh, but you want to use your internet for Netflix? Mm, extra $5 a month. Ooh, you want to use your internet to connect smart home devices? It's an extra $10 a month. And so suddenly, internet usage and connectivity becomes paywalled. Mm-hmm. And for internet activists, that is a big no-no because the idea of the internet is, is that it works best when it is uh, free and open to the people. Right, Right, right. Fluctuating costs could also price out startups that don't have buying power to access higher priority lanes and that ends up benefiting big players um you know that is another very clear point i mean often i feel like these kind of no regulation decisions end up impacting the smaller players the most Mm -hmm. and benefiting the big players the most so you know the 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 little player might say okay i guess in the long run this could be good for me but who's really cashing in from this it would be you know your, your comcasts your giant isps um This is from FCC Commissioner uh, Mignon Clyburn. I feel like I'm totally mispronouncing that, but this (laughs) is in his dissenting opinion on the initial net neutrality repeal. Quote, maybe several providers will quietly roll out paid prioritization packages that enable deep pocketed players to cut the queue. Mm -hmm. Maybe a vertically integrated broadband provider decides that it will favor its own apps and services. Or some high-value Internet of Things traffic will be subject to an additional fee, end quote. So that's his his opinion on why this is a bad idea. Why opening up this non-regulated field could actually deter um, usage of the Internet for all. Now, positives of this decision. You know, people that are applauding the light-touch approach of FCC um, head Ajit Pai. Right. So they're saying that net neutrality, uh, or at least the harsher version under Obama, was dissuading investment in infrastructure from ISPs. Um, and that, in general, um, investments declined from $78.4 billion in 2014 to $76 billion in 2016. Now, me, I would argue, okay, that's not really that big of a drop. Right. But, I mean, $2 billion is definitely $2 billion. That is a, a decrease in investment. So um, – Another positive is that this, the broad approach that was coming under net neutrality uh, in its extreme days, you know how people would call it, um, was treating internet like other simpler telecom services, basically saying that broadband is a common carrier. And that was affecting small and independent operators the most, it was actually hampering them. Mm-hmm. Uh, more so than it was the large players. So this is from Matthew Polka. I actually interviewed him at Cable Tech. He's the CEO of ACA Connects. They represent small and independent um, uh, telecom operators across the nation, um, and you know they're trying to empower them to have a voice still in Washington, to have a voice still in the industry. Right. Um, so this is from his official, um, his official press release, I guess. Once this decision was uh, upheld. Quote, as our smaller broadband provider members told the FCC, subjecting ISPs to outdated common carrier regulation under Title II of the Communications Act would deter them from investing in upgrades and expanding their broadband networks to roll out innovative higher performance services, end quote. So basically he's saying all of that because ACA connects his smaller provider members have voluntarily committed to not throttle services for their small market customers. So this kind of broad uh, approach is actually limiting them from expanding their services and from innovating. Right. Um, And he's actually also pushing for a law that makes clear that no firm operating in the Internet ecosystem can block or impair broadband Internet access for lawful content. And he's also saying that a law should ensure that no firm can engage in anti-competitive acts. So – I'll break down my thoughts on all that here in a second. Some other potential benefits um, that players are saying. The prioritization of communications could actually be a good thing as we empower smart cities. So, you know, prioritizing internet traffic for smart cars, for telemedicine, for a network of drones, that is necessary. And treating all internet access equally could actually deter smart city projects from expanding. So both sides are saying that. You know, yeah, yes, net neutrality and no net neutrality yeah. could hurt smart cities, yeah. which is interesting. That, that is interesting. Um, and then the final point here is that inflexible rules towards the Internet could undermine the expansion of 5G uh, because the usage and capabilities of 5G, like you were asking about earlier, mm-hmm. uh, are still relatively unknown. You know, what will 5G look like in 10 years right. if we put a hard cap on, uh, you know, how we price out Internet and how we determine uh, how we... You know lightly or aggressively throttle internet services that could put a damper on 5g so this is multi-layered there's a lot to unpack here there is um, you know my initial thoughts l- let's go to Matthew Polka's comments here and um, and just the idea of this helping small providers I totally understand that and I'm totally sympathetic to uh, you know wanting small players and independent operators mm-hmm. to, Thrive And survive in this large ecosystem. But the idea that small provider members have voluntarily committed to not throttle services for their small market customers, that just doesn't – this is my personal opinion – doesn't really give me a lot of – Assurances? You're not buying what they're selling. On I that? mean, I mean, look, I I believe that they are doing that, and I believe that they believe in that vision. But how long can that last? And how long can just trusting that oh the companies aren't going to throttle because we are just committing to it because we are uh, you know altruistic? How long We're does that re- right? How long does that really last until it doesn't work on the bottom line? Right, and then, exactly. And then that's that's going to go out the window. Correct, and and that is my mentality on it is that. Holding people up to personal accountability is not realistic. And we've seen time and time again that removing regulation broadly and entirely and then just kind of playing it off as like, oh, people's individual altruistic nature is going to keep the system from imploding or from price gouging. That doesn't work. It's not realistic. Mm-hmm. There needs to be a, a an even-handed approach to letting people thrive, but also regulating and discouraging malpractice um, or anti-competitive acts. So so these small independent operators, I feel like because they're small and because they represent their communities, Mm -hmm. probably, you know, they're a little more inclined to represent those communities. And therefore, I understand the reasoning behind, you know, we aren't going to price gouge our customers because they're going to be driven out of business. Right. So that makes sense to me. But in the long run, that kind of argument, I don't think... um, is a good one. Mm-hmm. I really don't agree with that argument. Now, just in general, I guess I'm a fan of regulation just because I think uh, internet access and keeping it open and free and unthrottled is really crucial. But the points on the potential benefits of throttling are interesting. Mm-hmm. You know, prioritizing really important communications that uh, play into our ecosystem of a smart city like telemedicine, for example, that's a huge one. And I would definitely understand if we had a ruling that said, no, we need to prioritize that over you streaming Game of Thrones. Right. Um, Yeah, it's it's a tough dynamic, and I see both sides of the issue here. And I guess I'm with Matthew Polka in that I think we need bipartisan legislation that says we need to keep the internet flexible in how we throttle, Even though throttle sounds negative, I think there are some benefits to general lanes for internet. Uh, we need to approach that in a way that doesn't keep people from accessing internet as an end consumer, doesn't price them out of access on the internet, and also doesn't... Uh, encourage anti-competitive acts from your Comcast, your Spectrums, your giant ISPs. Right. That's my perspective on it. What are your thoughts? I know there's so much here to talk about. So. There's,
1: there's a lot to unpack. First of all, I'll say I don't have a lot of hope for a bipartisan effort for anything, but also <laughs> I don't have any faith in our lawmakers to be able to navigate the intricacies of a topic like this when so many of them appear
0: to be so ignorant on oh my things god. on the internet. Have you seen the videos of them trying to interrogate Mark Zuckerberg? Yes. Oh yes. my god, it's like, do you even use the internet? Do you know what the internet
1: is? Lindsey Graham bragged during the presidential <laughs> campaign that he'd never sent an email before. And I looked at some of the people I was working with at the time and I said, some of you guys are applauding this. For me, like that. that's almost a disqualification. Literally. To be that ignorant of a topic that is such a big deal nowadays. Right. And I know there are going to be people that disagree with me and that's fine. But that's how I feel about that is just that I don't have any faith in our lawmakers to make good decisions on this when so many of them appear so ignorant on the topic. Right. Okay. That being said, I tend to view the internet and the way that it's growing s- similarly to other public works and public goods, right? So similar to access to electricity, yep. access to water. Yeah. It, it being in the next 10 to 15 years, like what we're talking about, as essential to our day-to-day lives as those things, as essential to keeping up and being a citizen in the modern world. Yeah. Having internet connection. I know it's water essential to life. Obviously, internet (laughs) not quite as essential to life. So I I, I get the, you know, you might hold that. But in order to be a functioning citizen... There's going to be an assumption in the next ten or fifteen years that you have access to internet. and I almost think we should treat it as such that restricting access or throttling or anything along those lines, anything that would hamper somebody's ability to be able to affordably uh, get one of these things that is now basically considered a life necessity. Mm. I think I think we should think long and hard before we do
0: something along those lines. Right. Well, you know, to play off your first point, and how that plays into your second point, uh, you know, I think the way that we see um, our political leadership approach some of these topics, at least the people that are leadership right now, uh, on both sides, on the D side and the R side, it feels pretty archaic, you know. And right. and I understand the concerns from people like Matthew Polka at ACA Connects that, like, look, these broad decisions, that super harsh, strict internet regulation that basically equates the internet to a common carrier is outdated and is not representative of where we're going with the internet. So Mm -hmm. I understand that. But I also am with you that the conversation needs to be, yes, how can our large players, how can our small players stay profitable and thrive, uh, you know, providing internet services? But also, we need to be talking about how lack of access to information is basically an end all be all for any sort of thriving future in our society. Right. If you don't have a school uh you know, if you don't have a computer in school and you don't have access to the internet at home, how are you expected to have any kind of job that adapts with where the world is going? Mm-hmm. Um if you live in a rural or small market and you are working off of like horrible megabit uh, speed, internets, up and down, and you're having trouble even loading like YouTube, right? Yeah. Um, how are you expected to browse and search and and feel a hunger to consume information? I'm totally with you. You know, I've seen proposals from presidential hopefuls talking about we need billion dollars of funding from the federal government to support our independent operators to expand high-speed broadband internet to the entire nation so that everyone has access to the internet. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I think that's a step removed from, like, nationalized internet, which I think brings up other concerns of, like, I don't know if I want the government controlling all all access to internet, removing... Sounds very Russia. Right. Sounds very China to <laughs> I me. Mean. Removing, like, uh, private control. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I think, per usual, there's a balanced approach here, and... I, uh, I'm with you on I think we need to be talking about, you know, as we talk about the, the, the future of Internet use, how it plays into smart cities, how it plays into commercial and business usage, and also in-home usage, just in general, how we access mm-hmm. information. It needs to be from the perspective of how do we empower everyone to have access to this. Technology, I don't think, needs to be um, class. Gapped, you know, like right. there, there shouldn't be a a gap in access to information or the internet or technology in general because of your uh, your salary or your class standing. Um, I, I did I did a podcast recently with Kevin Stevenson on social determinants of health, mm. and
1: just talking a little bit about the zip code you're born into <sighs> has a massive impact on your life expectancy simply because of the social. Uh, you know, factors that, right. that are involved access with where you Access to health, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and technology should, er, access to information, as far as technology goes, shouldn't be one of those things.
0: And it feels like it is. Right. I agree, man. So, you know, now uh, just looping it back to this specific FCC ruling. Um, basically now the conversation is going to be in the hands of the states, mm-hmm. which is going to be strange. You know, we could have one state that has free, Open, very unregulated internet. We could have another state that has extremely uh, throttled, price gouged internet. Right. Uh, And there's going to basically be nothing you can do about it, uh, um, other than like move states. I mean, it could be the kind of same general flow of people as we see like people moving because of business regulation or um, you know lack of state income tax big reasons why people come to texas right they move from their yeah you know your coastal uh coastal states to texas because okay we're not getting state income tax seems Mm -hmm. to be less regulation on businesses is internet now going to push business you know in either direction because of how states manage their internet services uh i guess that just you know is gonna have to be up in the air we're gonna have to wait to see yeah um but again, my personal opinion is that I I, I guess I kind of see both sides here, but I don't think we're at the end now. This right. ruling basically is now opening the door for large carriers to price gouge. So we need immediate response and action to rebalance. It basically went full to one direction. Pendulum swung one direction. Mm-hmm. Now it went full in the other direction, and now we're waiting for it to land in the middle. We need that kind of law. We need that kind of legislation we need that kind of action that is going to say okay we understand that the way this was framed was outdated yeah. but we need something that makes it clear you cannot do anti-competitive practices to price gouge and you cannot throttle internet for consumers uh, arbitrarily that if we're going to talk about lanes and priority for internet it needs to be for uh, for the benefit of the society like You know, empowering smart cities, smart cars, telemedicine, um, you know, improving 5G access to the business, stuff like that. So that's my perspective on it. Um, But, yeah, I mean, I I know there's a lot of people really excited about this and a lot of people really upset by this decision. So uh, we're just going to have to see how it plays out. I feel like that's my commentary (laughs) at the end of all these controversial kind of topics. We're just going to see how it plays out. Exactly. Well, I'll be curious to see what happens.
1: And if the pendulum actually lands in the middle, like what we're talking about. Or if it ends up on
0: one side or the other. Exactly. It'll be a huge. It will be huge. It will be huge. Huge. All huge. right, T. Uh, that does it for this little on-demand segment of Business Casual. I feel like we might start doing more of these until we just expand the length of the show to an hour. <laughs> but y'all, uh, you know, an hour-long show. We've got too much on our hands right now. We're, we're wanting to do an hour, so just stay patient. We'll get there. Yeah. But for now, just enjoy these on-demand segments. And uh, And tune in, 9 a.m. Tune in, 9
1: a.m. Wednesdays and Fridays. Wednesdays and Fridays. We have two more shows coming on Mondays and Tuesdays as well. So mm. lots going on here in the Market Skill Radio World. So spicy. Stay tuned. Yum.
0: Bye, y'all.